Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and him, Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you? I'm, I'm uh, very good, thank you very much, Kevin. Good. On, yep. on whatever day this is. Well, this, this, this is going to be Monday, Kieran, but I think we need... We need to be honest, I think, with our listeners, Kieran. Was uh, yeah, we we've built up a level of trust, I believe, between you and I and our many, many thousands of listeners all over the world. The occasional mispronunciation of a German football team and a name, <clears throat> notwithstanding, I think I think you especially have built up the credibility around the world for people to to take us and trust. So I think we should be honest, Kieran, and admit that it is Sunday, the nineteenth of December. We're coming to the pointy end of the Advent calendar season. It's uh, quarter past eight in the evening, and producer Guy has asked us to record four four pods in the same session. Yes. All our Christmas pods. He's asked us to do all our Christmas pods together, which is which is fine. We're happy to do that because we we are the fifth emergency service. We like to keep providing financial football information during the festive season. But it will explain to people why. By the show, the time the show goes out on December the thirtieth, I might be a bit shaky. People are going to be thinking he started early, because obviously I'm going to be in the office for this. Will take us a couple of hours, Kieran. So I've brought out a couple of my friends. I brought my mate Johnny Walker out with me. Uh, I've brought my mate Billy Bailey's out with me because um, it's it's cold, Kieran. You have to keep the chill off. So so if the, if there are little highs and lows, everybody, that's that's why. Please bear that in mind that we have recorded these. All in one session, and it's um, first one's a, a, a questions pod, Kieran. But there are a couple of issues to talk about that are pertinent, of course. Firstly, a lot of games called off this week and this weekend because of COVID. Will clubs be losing out financially here? Um, yeah, I, I think there will be a series of uh, winners and losers from from the club's point of view. If we're honest, the the weekend before Christmas doesn't tend to be a great one in terms of attendances right. because people do get distracted. But if you've already paid your season ticket price, so there, there will be some. Yeah, the clubs normally expect a moderate loss potentially. Um, but because so many of the matches were called off at relatively short notice, they'd already ordered the food, and yeah. therefore the caterers are saying, "Well, you you paid for ten thousand pies. We're gonna we're gonna bill you for ten thousand pies." and you know, from what I've seen, a lot of clubs are doing fantastic stuff. They're making sure that that food is not wasted. It goes yep. to you know food banks. It goes to good causes and so on. So, so hats off to the clubs. Um, they they won't necessarily lose anything from broadcasters because uh, it's it, it's similar to having a a, a freeze. Yeah, you know, it's it's it's, uh, it's it's not being dictated by government. I don't think there'll be there'll be too many problems in terms of uh, breach of contract unless. The Premier League sides, and uh, so we are recording this on Sunday evening. And just before we we started and, and sat down together, um, something did come through on the wire that the Premier League clubs are meeting on Monday the twentieth. And one of the things that they're considering is uh, just binning off all of the matches uh, on uh, on what they call Game Week Twenty. Yeah. Uh, which I've got absolutely no idea what that means. I, I, I just cringe as soon as I hear it. But those those are broadly the the fixtures which have been scheduled for December 
28th, 29th, and 30th. Now, one of the broadcasters has paid for those rights, and that broadcaster is going to be fairly peeved. Um, so they might have to give some form of of rebate there. So yes, the clubs will have lost. They've also, of course, you know, that they've they printed the programs. They will have staff who are who are committed to coming in, so they have to pay the staff. Um, they will have booked accommodation. They will have booked the the coaches. So there, there will be costs for the clubs. Big, biggest losers uh, likely to be the fans because yeah. Uh, yeah, Brighton were due to uh, play at Old Trafford this weekend. Uh, 12.30 kickoff, so impossible to get to uh, using public transport. So therefore, I I booked two nights in a hotel. Uh, I had, had to prepay, you know, pre-book my train fares to try to get a a, a seat uh, and be something cheap. And, and you know, rail fares in this country are, are ludicrous. So, uh, yeah, there'll be lots of uh, fans who are out of pocket. Um, and, and we did see, I think it was when Burnley were heading to Watford uh, a few yep. nights ago, that match was called off at two hours' notice. So yeah, there, there's uh, there's a lot of losers. It's not it's not just the clubs. It is it is the uh, it's the fans uh, as well. So yeah, a lot of people cheesed off. You know, hotel owners must get really upset with you. You you book you book these hotels, and they must think this bloke's travelling from Brighton to Manchester for a football. He's probably he's a he's a proper football fan. He's going to be ordering a lot on room service, isn't he? We're going to get through a lot of bottles of wine. Then old teetotal Kieran throws down. Can I have a bottle of fizzy water? That's okay. Yeah, right. Hey, fizz, fizzy um, water's too posh for me. I'm 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 still water only. Kieran, we've asked to, we've we've just a minute ago talked about the the trust and the honesty we have with our listeners. And you this with some of the pies you've talked about. Your wife was on a reef making course last week. Fizzy water is not too posh for you um i noticed you you said the 28th 29th and 30th games game week 20 are, are we expecting boxing day games to go ahead as normal then yes yes i, I think they would be desperate for boxing day day games to take place because it is it is a tradition um they do get good crowds and uh i, I think it's i think boxing days with sky who pay more than 28th, 29th, 30th, who's Amazon. So if there are rebates to be given, then they'd rather you know give the rebate to, to Amazon because they pay less for the matches in the first place. Uh, you know, admittedly, they will be rescheduled for, for later in the season and Amazon will pick them up there. So I think that would be a um, a lower cost. I mean, the, the other alternative, you know, somebody suggested, should they be paying playing behind closed doors? But I think the the, the challenge for the clubs is can they genuinely get two squads out given that practically all you know the vast majority of clubs in the premier league have got a few people some have got a lot of people a lot of players who are suffering from covid so uh, i think that's the that's the rationale behind the, uh, the 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 decision to have this potential uh, curtailment of matches for for those few days playing matches you know almost back to back is 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 a challenge when you've got a big squad um, and lots of clubs don't have that well, they don't, but that's their choice. I mean, Leeds United have got a small squad deliberately. Um, it, it just seems dif- it's difficult for football to justify, isn't it? If, the, if there's no further national restrictions, and it looks at the moment as though if there are any further national restrictions in, in England or the rest of the UK, they will come after Christmas and before the New Year. So if if the rest of the country is f- happily floating around on the 28th and 29th and 30th, it's difficult for football to justify. And also there are people, and I'm actually one of them, 
wants demands, as Jurgen Klopp says, to discover how many players are vaccinated at these clubs. Because if these clubs are having games called off because only 20% of their players are vaccinated, then I'm not entirely sure that that isn't their problem to deal with. They, they, if they have to field a team of teenagers, then they have to field a team of, te- a team of teenagers, essentially. It, well, it's going to take 14 votes, presumably, because yeah. yeah, that would be for a... yeah, It's normally 14 votes for a change of rules, although I guess they, they might argue that this isn't a change of rules, but uh, uh, it, it, will, it will have to go to the vote of club executives, and there will be some... Yeah, people saying, "Well, you know, we've got a couple of suspensions. We've got, uh, of course, we've got a few out yeah. with other injuries." Yeah, uh, you know, th- th- everybody's acting in in self interest. Let's let's be honest here. And I've always said, as long as clubs are transparent, you know, if, if, when, when they start when they start getting out their, their their violins and claiming it's for the better good of the public health, that that's when it's uh, it sort of grinds my gears. Well, that's the other thing as well. If it if it were for the better good of the public health. And who who knows, Kieran? It, it might be, but then that this weekend would have been the weekend to to cancel games if it were for the better good of the the public health. It's yeah. it 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 indicates to me that it clearly isn't, as you say, it's entirely self interest, and the, the 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 notion that it's it's well we're we're safe and happy to have games on the twenty sixth, but probably not right on the twenty eighth and twenty ninth doesn't sit well. But so it'd be really interesting to see what happens with the outcome of that vote. And unfortunately, uh, we won't be able to refer to it in our next two or three pods. Um, but, but, yeah, they I'll probably be, heard. They probably got, got a, they probably hacked into producer guy's emails to us and realised we're not doing recording sort of live, as it were, and oh said, well, this, is, this is a time to give the price of football good kicking whilst they're, oh, whilst, this, whilst they're asleep. This is a, a, a good time to bury bad news. Yes. Well, price of football are hibernating over Christmas. I also thought it was quite exciting when you said something came through on the wire, which is uh, you've been watching too many American films, haven't you? <laughs> um, now, this question uh, was asked by many people um, on Twitter, and I apologise. I, I, I did mean to jot down some names, but then I got a fit of peak and thought that's producer guy's job, not mine. Uh, my my job's reading out loud. Um, <laughs> I'm not quite in a festive spirit yet, Kieran, as you'll see. Um the Botch Champions League draw, which, uh, to be perfectly fair, was hilarious. But a lot of people have asked us, are, are there any clubs that are worse off because of the Botch Champions League draw that that would that had initially had a, a lovely high-profile money-earning draw against a big team that then didn't? Um, well, yes, because originally it was uh, Ronaldo versus Messi in the initial draw. Mm. Manchester United versus PSG. Um, and uh, you know that would have been a a, a ratings winner, um, although clearly one of those very high profile clubs would have to go out as a result. Um, so yeah, there's there's always winners and losers in in terms of the ease of the draw. Um, there's no there's no uh, chance of compensation because if you go into the fine print of UEFA's regulations, it, it does say that uh, in the uh, in the case of an error that is made in the draw process, it will have to go go to a redraw. So therefore, it's already in the rules. So so, so you won't be able to get any money back. But yeah, there, there's there's some some clubs have ended up with a, a much kinder second draw, um, mm. and they will be uh, you know, high fiving each other because the progress that you make. Through the Champions League uh, is is huge uh, in, in getting into the quarterfinals. Uh, so yeah, we, we're we're talking into the tens of millions of pounds. Uh, so yeah, some people would be delighted, others not so. 
you had to feel sorry for Andre Shavin because I think even Andre Shavin's agent would have thought to himself, I wonder who's not available that they've ended up phoning me up <laughs> to see if Andre's around. As he looked increasingly confused by what was going on, it clearly wasn't his fault. No. it's it's. I mean, it's astonishing. I mean, it, it, it shouldn't be difficult to get that right, should it? But. Well, well, the, the draw becomes increasingly convoluted year in, year out. And, and what on yes, earth's yes. going to happen when they move to the Swiss-style model of uh, you know playing ten games out for out of a, a pot of sixteen, home and away, is is beyond me. So, um, all, all that we know that there'll be, there'll be even more fixtures. So, uh, you know, I hope hopefully by by then Jurgen Klopp will have. And Pep will have calmed down a bit because, uh, yeah, the, the way that both of those sides are playing, that they they've got to be shoe ins for the the Champions League for for the foregoing future. But uh, uh, yeah, more matches, same amount of time uh, is is an ongoing issue. Yeah, yeah, Jurgen Klopp didn't look like he was calming down at any time this afternoon. I <laughs> so he was he is good value, isn't he? Um, so questions in Kieran. And our first question comes from um, Robert Sade. It's S-A-A-D-E, so it could be Sade, it could be Said, uh, it could be, for those of us who grew up in the 80s, Sade, for all we know, mm. um, and what a singer she was. Um, uh, but Robert's question is, what are the parameters that control the transfers of players who are under 16? Who sets the price and who's involved? And increasingly, Kieran, this is a subject that our listeners are clearly more and more interested in, the way that, as you put it, children are being traded by... Uh, clubs around the world. Yes, children are being commoditized. Mm. Um, well, first of all, you cannot sign a professional contract at that age. That was, that was something we established fairly recently. You can't actually sign your, your first pro contract until you're 17. But we therefore come to our very good friend, the Elite Player Performance Plan, the mm. EPPP. And what this does is that this offers a fixed tariff, which is based first of all on um, in which academy category uh, is the is the player originally coming from, uh, and, and those are assessed a bit like Ofsted by uh, by independent inspectors. Secondly, how long has that uh, how long has that child been associated with the club in terms of their uh, development as a as a potential successful footballer? Thirdly. What is their age? So you, you will get players potentially disappearing at the age of eleven and twelve. Um, you, you can't offer inducements to the player or the, the child. You can't offer inducements to the uh, the child's parents. But some people says it happens though. Uh, you mm. know, large, large brown envelopes are exchanged. Yeah, one, um, one, one people are stories. given people are given jobs at. Uh, at uh, related parties or you know, sort, of, sort of arm's length uh, jobs, um, so it, it it goes on, um, and trying to police it is is very difficult. And also, you know, if, if a child wants to move to another club at the age of ten or eleven, uh, they they should have a say in the matter as well. Um, and, and the final thing is, well, when when that uh, individual then moves on to a another club. How many first team appearances do they make, and in which division? So all of this actually goes into a into effectively a spreadsheet, and, and that that churns out um, the uh, the fee that is paid. And if the player then is transferred before the age of twenty three, there also tends to be um, a a compensation fee paid on top of that. So it, it is 
it, it is very much set out in stone. Um, it very much favours the recruiting club, which inevitably turns out to be a Premier League club. And this was part of the the deal. This is this is this is the concession that the the Premier League extracted from clubs in the EFL when they said, going forwards, we will guarantee you uh, money from our Premier League TV deal. Not not a huge amount of money but we'll guarantee you money all the same. Um, whereas previously it had to be negotiated on a, uh, every time the deal was, uh, the Premier League deal was uh, renegotiated with the broadcasters. So, you know, the, the, the Premier League uh, was in a very strong negotiating position uh, when, when this all came through and has exploited that um, to, uh, to the benefit of its members. Now, our next question comes from Stu Hall. Uh, in my early days as a comedian, there was uh, an improv group called the Stuart Hall Improv Troupe. Uh, <laughs> as you know, Kieran, I, I disapprove of improv in general. You do, um, yes. And comedians with guitars. But they were nice lads. Uh, but I could never understand why one of them wasn't called Stu Hall. Uh, and they had to patiently explain to me that it was uh, Stu Hall Improv Troupe. Uh, yeah, S-H-I-T, I know. But, but so, did what, you also know that... The uh, the broadcaster Stuart Hall, uh-huh. he had a travel agent, and that was called Stuart Hall International Travel. Really? Yeah. Was it? And, that, I, that, and when that was pointed out to him when his shop opened, uh, he he went. Uh, he was very sheepish. Well, sheepish is what Stuart Hall should have been for most of his life. I did a TV show uh, with Stuart Hall, oh, um, which involved uh, a grown man being dressed as a parrot in a cage. It was. <laughs> it was. It was. It was <laughs> It was Channel 5's ill-fated attempt to come up to uh, uh, an equivalent of uh, they think it's all over. And I was one team captain and Stuart Hall was the other. Uh, it's a very interesting experience. The Parrot pretty much stole the show, I have to say. Uh, it, it, only, it only lasted for one series and it barely lasted for that, to be perfectly honest. Uh, Channel 5 at the time couldn't afford any footage, so we had to draw stuff. Anyway, um, Stu Hall's question indicates, Kieran, that no matter how hard you have tried to explain this to Wolves fans, Wolves fans are still having trouble getting their heads around it. And I have to say, I don't blame them. And so Stu's question is, what baffles me and a lot of other Wolves fans still is financial fair play and it's UEFA equivalent. I was under the impression that it's a rolling three-year assessment period, as it is in the Championship, which by my layman calculations mean Wolves are now within the remit. Yet, despite seemingly having a net spend of around £2 last summer... We were told we had to sell again in the summer just gone. How can this be with a club 15th in the wages table and a broadcasting income of around 140 million? That probably should have been not within the remix, shouldn't it? Yes. 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 Um, well, the, the reason for this, I think that there's, there's a common misconception with regards to financial fair play. People see... Um, under the Premier League rules, you're allowed to lose £105 million. And under UEFA's rules, you are allowed to lose €30 million. Euro. But that assumes that the club owners are injecting and investing cash into the club in the form of share issues. Now, in the case of Wolverhampton Wanderers, or WW1990 Limited, as is, mm. as is the name of their company... Um, that doesn't appear to have been the case for some time. So because the owners are are not putting money into the club, 
Uh, you therefore drop down to a five million allowable loss over three years, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's actually that much trickier uh, for for Wolves to to therefore satisfy and, and stay within the limits, which is which is why they've had to be. Um, very cautious uh, as as far as their investments in the uh, in in the transfer market is concerned. It's 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 not it's not preventing them from getting results though. Mm. Now, Kieran, this is by way of an early Christmas present. These next two questions, Guy obviously, <laughs> Guy obviously thought Kieran needs a bit of Kieran up, Kieran up, Kieran needs a bit of Kieran up. Um, this is only show one. Imagine what I'm going to be like in show four. My God. Um, well, we've got Kieran's obviously got guys gone. It's 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 time for Kieran's Christmas and birthday. So two questions coming up, proper accounting questions. And first comes from John Bradshaw, and John's question is: If a club does not clearly specify transfer payments due on the balance sheet date, where would you most likely find them? I suspect they are held with trade creditors, both for current and non-current payments due. Clubs include accruals among their liabilities. Is there a situation then where a club would include transfer payments in accruals instead of trade creditors? And I think, Kieran, that's something we've all been wondering. <laughs> yes, this this is going to be uh, an early Christmas present for probably no one apart from John Bradshaw. <laughs> um, but um, in terms of, of transfer play- payments due, I mean, some some clubs are they're great. They're really transparent. They they say. This is this is the total amount of money that we owe to other people, of which so much is in relation to transfers, um, and and that's fine. Makes my life a lot easier. Um, sometimes what they do is that they embed those numbers within the overall liabilities total, and therefore you you simply have to apply a rule of thumb. And the rule of thumb that I apply, and I think uh, the governor, the Swiss Ramble, was the first person to do this. So anything he does, I follow. Um, I, I think he's he's he said historically uh, we'll take eighty five percent of what's owed to general creditors, trade creditors, in less than a year, and a hundred percent of what's owed in more than one year. And, and that, that's certainly the basis which I've always used when I when I've quoted numbers. Um, could it be in these things called accruals? Could be, but it's unlikely. I always check them to see if they've changed um, unusually during the year because I I trust most clubs as far as I can throw them when it comes to disclosures. But um, I, I think John John's right in his initial assertion that uh, they they are hidden within overall money uh, owed to uh, suppliers. Yeah, and and lots of organisations do this type of thing if if they've got to. Uh, a significant sum owed to a particular party. Mm. I've just drawn a puzzled face on my little page of notes. <laughs> it, it looks more like a Cyberman. I'm not. I'm not very good at drawing. Um, and here's the second part of your Christmas present. Uh, and it comes from uh, Utsav Srivastava. And again, many apologies if I've mispronounced your name, Utsav. Um, especially if I've done it twice. Um, Utsav's question is about paying for players in instalments. I understand the positive cash flow impact that this has, and with the time value of money, you'd rather pay later than pay now. But when companies invest in assets that they pay off over time, those assets generate cash flows, and those cash flows are used to pay off the debt to acquire the asset. But footballers don't generate incremental cash flows. So why do clubs choose to pay over time and hangstring themselves in future windows by having liabilities from former transfers due? You see, you said earlier, Kevin, that reading is what you're paid to do. And mm. that was, I'd say that's quite a tough one because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at that and I'm going, 
Well, have we got have we got these words in the right order? It, it, it mm, seems yeah, it I, seems quite messy. Um, I, right, Kieran, so, I, just, I just I just read them. I don't I don't claim to understand them. <laughs> if they if they're not in the right order, I mean, it's like walking my eyes. They might be the right words, but not necessarily in the right order, Kieran. But as as guy sends them, I read them. <laughs> right. Well, what what Sav is saying is why do clubs pay for transfers and instalments? Mm. Um, and it's simply it, it's it's all to do with cash flow. Um, why does any why does anybody agree to buy things on credit? It's because they can't afford to pay for them immediately. Yep. Um, and and also, if you think, well, if if we do go and pay for them immediately, that means we're going to have to borrow money from the bank, and if we have to borrow money from the bank, we're going to have to pay interest on that. So it's actually potentially saving you money. So if we if we take a look at uh, Manchester United in the uh, when, when Sir Alex retired, Manchester United owed thirteen million pounds to other clubs for instalments on on player transfers. Uh, we, by five years later, by the time we got to the summer of twenty eighteen, that thirteen million had gone up to two hundred and fifty eight. So United had been United had been through that series of managers. Yeah, they'd been through Van Gaal, they'd been through mm. David Moyes, they'd been through Mourinho, and of course, every time you get a you get a new manager, especially for a club with the, the size and the magnitude and, and the the uh, the box office of Manchester United, the, the first thing the journalists say, the first <coughs> thing the fans say is how much money he's going to go and spend, and everybody starts to get giddy. So, so United spent nine hundred million pounds in five years on players uh, for a, and I think that got them uh, during that period. I think it didn't get them a lot of trophies. You know, it, they were, I think, they were fairly disappointed with the return. But whilst they spent over nine hundred million in terms of the actual cost of the players, in terms of cash. That was a lot less. That was that was less than seven hundred million because they were buying on credit, and that's fine. But as anybody has who has ever had a credit card will realise, um, you can't have a limitless amount of player transfers on credit mm-hmm. because the credit card company, effectively UEFA, the Premier League, other clubs, take a look at your numbers and say. Hold on, how, how can you be signing a player from it, us this summer when you already owe two hundred and fifty-eight million to other clubs? We're getting a bit twitchy. So since then, United have embarked upon a policy of trying to pay down their the equivalent of their credit card debt. So the, the rationale behind it, Sav, is uh, buying on the buying on credit uh, saves you cash, which means you don't have to borrow from elsewhere. I, I believe that Ferguson's last buy was Wilfred Zahar. Um, um, that may yeah. not be right, but certainly it's one of his last ones. And I know talking to people who worked at Palace at the time that Man United were, as they uh, described it, a, a joy to do business with at the time because they said that Ferguson basically said, I want the player, pay a fair price and pay them when they want to be paid. Um, and clearly things have changed very much since then. Um, the next question comes from Ronnie Fenea. Uh, and I'm not sure, Kieran, whether this is a brilliant question or whether it's one of those hypothetical situations that could never happen. But I really like this question. Then Ronif says, when a player brings a player, when a club, I beg your pardon, brings a player in on loan, generally their wage is split by the two clubs, say 50-50. Not necessarily, as we found out recently, Kieran. But my question has two parts. Does this same split apply for contract clauses, such as appearance fee, goal bonus, etc.? And secondly, say a player at Manchester United has a contract clause which entitles him to £100,000 if he wins the Premier League. The player's then loaned to another Premier League club 
who go on to win the title. What happens then? Right. What will happen is that if you go on loan to another club, um, there will be embedded clauses which will be performance-related. So uh, let, let's say that, that you're playing for Palace, you go on loan to uh, you, you go on loan to Burnley, and then you will you will, the the agreement between Palace and Burnley is that Palace is still paying your wages in yep. terms of your <clears throat> your weekly your, your monthly monthly salary. And that's what players get. They get monthly salaries. Yep. I know we, we, we've spoken about this, this weekly wages nonsense before. Um, and that will still come from Crystal Palace. That will still go into your normal bank account. In addition, you will effectively have a separate contract with Burnley Football Club, which will say, Kevin, every time you score a goal, right. Burnley Football Club <clears throat> will pay you £10,000. Every time we keep a clean sheet, they'll pay you £5,000. If we win this, that or the other, you will get extra. So you, you effectively have uh, a bonus contract alongside your, your initial contract with Palace. Now, if Burnley go on to win the Premier League, that's great. If Crystal Palace win the Premier League that year and you're on loan, the chances are, again, because your contract is with Crystal Palace and they've won the Premier League, you will get your bonus from them as well. Right, okay. That's interesting. Can you just say that bit about Palace winning the Premier League again? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't want to spoil your Christmas as well, Kieran. Um, the next question is from James Folsa. Um, again, many apologies if I've mispronounced that, James. What was the financial Im- impact for the clubs that usually go on far-flung pre-season tours in the summer? What is the revenue usually raised from them that they missed out on this summer just gone? And will there be sponsors who will claim money back because tours didn't happen? For example, Man United players won't be seen boarding Aeroflot flights. Interesting. And neither will I. Um, <laughs> not, not anymore, Kim, but that's for different reasons. <laughs> that's <we> know. Indeed. <laughs> um, right. Uh, in terms of pre-season tours, what happens is that the club agrees with a local promoter for an appearance fee. So it's a bit like if uh, if if you or I, yeah, we we agreed to open the local branch of God knows what. Uh, yeah, we'd, we'd agree effectively a, a promotion fee. Um, so Manchester United, Real Madrid, these clubs are huge draws uh, in yeah, in Asia, in the US, and so on. Uh, Manchester United, for example, made thirteen million pounds in the summer of twenty nineteen. Um, from pre-season tours. Um, and, and to put that in context, that, that's more than Palace made for the whole season from ticket yeah. sales. Yeah. So, so yeah, it just shows how lucrative some of these, these big clubs are. Um, and, and in addition, on top of that, because the big clubs tend to have their own TV channels, they'll also be able to go and sign uh, to sell streaming rights for those matches and people, yeah, you have to sign up with MUTV um, and, and pay £10 for the privilege of, of watching the match, if, 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 if that's your thing, if you, if you want to see a pre-season friendly. So so the, the big clubs do do make a lot of money from it. Um, where do they stand in terms of um, sponsors? Uh, it's a case of look at the small print of the contract. Uh, if uh, if this is deemed to be an act of God, if this is covered in a in the small print of the contract between the the local sponsor, the local promoter, and the football club, then that will dictate whether or not compensation is due uh, when the preseason tour is cancelled. Hi, I'm. 
I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Our penultimate question on this pod comes from Rob Spillane. Rob, I I hope your Christmas schedule allows you to be listening to this because this question made me chuckle a lot because it shows that there is no limit to the paranoia of football fans. Um, And Rob says, as a big Leeds fan, albeit from China, we like to think that we were a cash cow for the EFL and that's why so many decisions went against us. Now that Leeds are in the Premier League, has there been any noticeable or measurable distant difference in EFL coffers since our promotion? Now, I, I just love the idea of Leeds fans in pubs all over the country, all over the world going, of course we're not getting promoted. The league wants to keep us in it. They've told referees we have to be, have to stay in, a, in a, a terrible accent. I know, Kieran, but it's Christmas and I'm, <laughs> I'm halfway through the first bottle of wine. Uh, but I just love, I love the fact that Leeds fans genuinely think that the EFL tried to keep them in that league because I'm not denying that they're a cash cow because, of course, they are. They bring thousands of away fans for a start-off. But can you put him out of his misery, Kieran? Um, well, actually, I, th- I think he, he does have a he, – he certainly is a point in terms of the, the contribution to the EFL because if we take a look at average attendances uh, this season, we're actually seeing record attendances – and when we talk about attendance, it's actually I'm referring here to the pretendance, i.e. Yes, the number yes, of tickets yes, sold. And, and and I don't actually have a huge issue with it because if you sell 10,000 tickets, you sold 10,000 tickets. How many people turn up is, is another matter. Um, but um, in, in 2019, which is sort of our last season pre-COVID, uh, there were 10 teams in the EFL Championship who averaged attendances of more than 20,000 per match. Absolutely phenomenal support for, for clubs. Um, this season, we're down to five. So Leeds impact upon that two ways. First of all, Leeds, you know, Leeds will be getting more than 30,000 uh, attending at Ellen Road. That's absolutely fantastic. And, and they've got they've got a lot, yeah, very committed fan base. And, and of course, every time they go away, they would sell out the away end. So, you know, that, 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 you know, we always say that uh, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. Having having Leeds United in your division was good for the championship. It was good for the EFL because they generated um, high viewing figures, um, when they played, uh, you know, both from Leeds fans and let's be honest, Le- Leeds were a club that that polarised opinions. So, so, so sometimes people tune in to, to see big clubs not do as well as perhaps yeah, the, the, yeah, their, yeah. their fan base would expect them to. So they, they were good. They were good for the broadcasters. You look at the number of uh, Leeds United away matches that that, that that were chosen was was always very common. And that, and I think Leeds uh, used to complain about this because they, they'd only normally get ten thousand pounds. As, as the away team. Uh, so you, you can understand, but, you know, A, their beef and also their beef potentially on behalf of their uh, of their fan base as well. Um, but we, we have seen uh, this year the Premier League is uh, is showing record attendances. 
League One is showing record levels of attendance because you've got Sunderland, Ipswich, Portsmouth, Charlton, uh, you know, Wigan are having a good season. Yeah. There's lots of clubs that are, yeah, that, that division is going to be, yeah, it's pretty sexy, you know, in terms of having a draw. So we've got this strange scenario this season where League One is showing record crowds for ages. The Premier League is showing some of its biggest crowds for ages because Villa are back there, Leeds are back there, Newcastle are back there. Um, uh, other clubs have, have increased their attendances. I'm, I'm not being disrespectful, but Bournemouth are not there and Bournemouth's, uh, Bournemouth had a, an issue in terms of the capacity of their, their stadium was was 10, 11,000. That, that drags every, everybody's average down. Yeah, it's, mm. it's the nature of averages. Um, so, um, yeah, the EFL's uh, championship uh, attendances are down. I think it's the, it's the lowest for the best part of 20 years. Um, and not having Leeds United in the championship is a contributory factor to that. As for his belief that the EFL were deliberately trying to keep them in the championship, I, I think that is probably not the case. Um, I'm glad you added that at the end, Kieran, because it saves me having to do it because producer guy would have been get, would have been getting more and more panicky as that answer went on at the at the idea that we were going to leave that hanging, that the idea that the EFL deliberately kept leads in it. Um, I, I love that word. I've not heard that word before, pretendence. That's a very good one, but it's not my word of the weekend. Um, my word of the weekend I learned yesterday from the admirable Jeff Stelling, that the Tony Macaroni Stadium is also known as the Spaghetti Head, which, <laughs> <laughs> which generally made me laugh a lot. I was I was, I was, was half-arsedly doing the private eye crossword on the sofa, listening to the football scores coming, and that actually made me laugh. It's very difficult to make a comedian laugh. Now, our final question comes from, um, it's written here as Keon Simmons. Now, Keon, it's quite possible that producer guy has missed out uh, an E or an A and it's, and it's meant to be Kieran. Uh, if so, I apologise. If it is Kian, I also apologise. Um, for, for a middle-aged intelligent man, I have more trouble with names than I should have. Uh, but Kian, Kieran Simmons, says, I have got a very obvious question but feel it's never been asked. Welcome to my world, Kian, Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> so many questions I have that I think, has anybody asked this? It really seems really obvious. Why is a... I was going to say, why is a ball round? Thank you for all those people who tried to explain to me how round this works when we had a question about the round <laughs> balls last week. I, really, scientifically, I have very little interest in the definition of roundness, but I will go to my grave believing that a rugby ball is not a ball. Um, when, when a club, says Keon Kieran, when a club is fined by the FA, the EPL or EFL, does that go towards the books at the end of the year and therefore have an effect on financial fair play? Um, my understanding is it depends upon the nature of the fine. If we take a look at Queen's Park Rangers, um, they uh, they cheated financial fair play um, in 2013, 2014, when they were promoted, uh, when Bobby Zamora scored the winning goal. Yeah. Um, and uh, consequently, the uh, the financial settlement that they agreed was, was £42 million. Now, if that had then subsequently gone into their their financial fair play calculations in 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 late later years that that meant they would have automatically failed those financial fair play so um it, it if it's to do with an ffp breach my understanding is that that particular fine would be exempt if it's for 
failure to control your players and you are therefore fined by the e by the football association for uh you know handbags uh, mm. at uh, <laughs> at uh, five paces then um i think that those would not be exempt from financial fair play so it, it is very much a case of going into the small print okay well, thank you for that question um that's the end of our first of our festive pods. But you can join us again tomorrow night, Tuesday the 21st of December, for the Price of Football Christmas Quiz. It's been a tricky old 10 days for all of us. A lot of us are anxious and worried about life in general. But hopefully there will be a nice hour off. Uh, Kieran and I will entertain you. Finley the dog will be barking along. Um, I've come up with the 12 days of uh, Christmas Oh, I'm looking forward to that. Well, I'll, 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 Kieran, it's not going to be a traditional 12 days of Christmas because I can't find things that rhyme for everything, but I'll, I'll give you a, a little taster. Um, on the first day of Christmas, my true love sent to me a seagull in a dustbin. That's the level we're talking about. <laughs> uh, it's going to be – I'm, I'm very pleased with five gold rings, I have to say. All right, uh, excellent. <laughs> Uncle Terry's in there. Um, <laughs> well, he has spent a lot of time inside various places uh, during his life, uh, to be fair. Of course, yeah. Well, he, he pulled off that great French hen turtle dove heist, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Nicked all those partridges and left the pear trees empty, yeah. Um, Mel Morris dancing, I'm quite pleased with as well. <laughs> uh, Kieran will be posting the Zoom details on his Twitter feed on the day. Hopefully, we will see you there. Um, there's always a large number of you joining in. Um, I don't think we're even going to have prizes this time, Kieran. Um, we may have. Producer guy may pull something from up his sleeve. Um, we're just going to do it for shits and giggles. And we've. Yeah. I always really enjoy doing it, I have to say. And it's always really pleasing how many of you join in. Um, and also, I like looking at uh, Kieran's house. I'm like a little Dickensian urchin pressing <laughs> my nose up against it. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to our always free to air pod then please go to patreon.com slash price of football and if you have a question you'd like answered on the show email us at questions at price of until then i shall hand you over to mr kieran mcgrire for his customary farewell well i'm i'm not doing four of these so if you like the show thanks very much <laughs> give us a review and if you don't <laughs> have a nice christmas <laughs> Oh, that was on the nose, Ebenezer, wasn't it? That's, that's really, that's, uh, I always look forward to that bit when you you come up with two surprisingly different bits. And also the people who had a go at me for not knowing that Casey uh, Casey Jones was a real person. I, I would, I, you know, I, I knew Scooby Doo wasn't real the week before. No one, no, one, no one gave me any credit for not for, for knowing Scooby Doo wasn't real. Really, you people are harsh. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. I'm for the